have two guns, one for each of you. Hey, ramblers, let's get rambling. What is your major malfunction, nut? That's my motto. That and everybody Wang Chung tonight. Yeah, David. Welcome to Costco. I love you. I'd like to keep this handy. Close encounters. I heard that. That's two points, Father Pat. It is two points. Hey, where are the white women at? Pack it in, Frank, you silly bastard! Hello and welcome everybody to Real Selections with Griff and Mike. I am Griff and with me as always, as long as we haven't been invaded by aliens, is going to be my cinematic life mate. Mike, how are you doing this week, sir? Oh man, I'm good. I'm good, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, nothing too special to talk about, but if we are going to talk about anything, I think it should be our film this week. We're going to waste no time, guys. We're going to get right into it. Uh, I know that we kind of did our introductions last week, so... We're going to keep it super short, and this week we're talking about 2001, I'm sorry, 2011, I'm, that's my dyslexia kicking in, I think, uh, 2011 film, uh, Battle Los Angeles. Now, there have been a ton of, if you want to call them disaster movies, alien invasion movies, war movies throughout the years that um, some stand out. There's a ton that are super cheesy and super campy, but this is one of those kind of rare films to me that I think really personifies like a good American war movie that happens to be about aliens. I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I, I say to a lot of people, and before you and I had actually talked about this movie, no one would ever really listen to me and this movie never comes up that I, I would have to correct people and say, here's the problem, because make no bones about it. Folks hated this movie. They and I don't understand why. I still don't, I don't understand get it why. Either. I would tell them, you're looking at it the wrong way, okay? This isn't some Roland Emmerich movie where he's obsessed with destroying the United States. It's not a natural disaster movie. It's not an alien invasion movie. It's a war movie. It's a story about soldiers fighting in, in war in a combat scenario, and the enemy happens to be aliens instead of Russians or Nazis or what have you. So and it's, I would, it's, like, it's a... I'd like to say, these aren't cheesy aliens, by the way. Like, this isn't your campy, run-of-the-mill... Like, it's certainly not, like, Mars Attacks or Independence Day, which I would say Independence Day is probably a more fleshed-out version. Um, if, right. I mean, if you had to say, like, there's a fleshed-out version of an alien invasion. Right. Um, but it's certainly not the campy version that, you know, Mars Attacks is necessarily. No. But these, I think this finds aliens... a nice, like, middle balance to that. They're very, they're very humanoid, uh, and they're heavily armed and uh, human-shaped, uh, anthropomorphic. Uh, they could, I mean, if when you see them through the fog of war in the movie, they they even pass as human beings. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when you see them up close, they kind of look like menacing versions of Alpha Five from Power Rangers. But that's a story for another day. A little bit, yeah. Uh, it's called. It's very much in the face. <laughs> they have like the domed, the domed heads and stuff, and one arm that's like a, a Mega Man like blaster that they they fire at but for the most part they're very similar to the opposition albeit much more heavily armed mm-hmm. and there it goes without saying though that like there's the way that this movie sets it up they they piecemeal it out so it starts out and this isn't really any spoilers for any people that want to watch the movie i don't actually i don't actually feel like this movie has any spoilers really like some of the stuff that they talk about that could maybe be considered spoilery is exposition that's kind of divvied out between different aspects of the film. And it's all done through a mildly clever use of um, news programs or radio programs, like stuff that, you know, the characters would be learning about this the same way that the audience would be learning about it, which I find, I kind of like that, Um, which if, if anybody ever followed the movie Cloverfield, they talked about doing a sequel to that movie where it was going to be uh, a bunch of, uh, collective news footage from different perspectives throughout the night as the monster was terrorizing New York City. I, I kind of get that vibe a little bit, even though that that movie obviously never happened. But um, coming at it from the perspective of the audience, and you're getting it through. Uh, there's several moments in the movie where you're getting it through television programs, whether it be before the incident, as they're being deployed, uh, rate you know, and the car radio on his way to base and stuff like that. So. Um, man, where was I going with that? <laughs> well, it's very similar to say uh, another a movie that's another favorite of our Starship Troopers, although much much less propaganda. 
sure. and a lot less campy too, where a lot of the actual background information for the story and the, the exposition is like, uh, it, yeah, it's filled in through like radio broadcasts or you'll see a news program out of the background. A lot of the, the speculation that they make about why the, why the why the angry Alpha Fives are attacking us is because they want our water. Right. Which, if you recall another famous alien invasion movie, they were weak to water and attack a planet that's 70% water, which is just dumb. This uh, one, not so much. They want our water. We're going to go ahead and just swing away from that one, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's... Let's let's not ever mention that movie again. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Is that a sign? A, Are you trying to give me a sign? Oh, not to talk stop. about sign. You're hurting my feelings. Sorry. That... <laughs> okay, it was really on the nose. I apologize. It's okay. Anyway. It's all right. It was one night. It was M night, but it was one night that it was you know. All right, Chewie, get us out of here. So anyway. The aliens want our water supply. Not necessarily a, a... Okay, so it is kind of a slightly original concept. Um, for most other alien films, uh, Independence Day... Let's go ahead and talk about like that as a good contrast as far as like the staple of alien invasion films. Because there's been a few. But Independence Day kind of seems to be that one that really sticks out. And they talk about in Independence Day specifically about uh, coming through robbing our earth or our planet uh rather of our yeah, resources. resources but in independence day they don't actually show them or they make a small mention of it like you know right. in and uh, bill pullman's um kind of possession moment with with the alien species talking about coming through and wrecking our resources but if you watch any scenes from that film, you'll notice that they're just kind of destroying us and our resources. Like, they're, they're really not doing any effort to preserve our resources. So I always, I always found that kind of a, a small, like, plot loophole. That's, I mean, that's, kind of, that's not really here or there, but... Well, it's important to note, though, and the reason I like that is another reason I like this movie... They explicitly explain that in any type of invasion, and I suppose that this would this would apply like to human beings too, when you're moving oh, yeah. in and trying to take over, you mm-hmm. eradicate the indigenous life. And that's First, not really that's not really any different than say what we did when we took over the Americas. Right. Or or any other civilization throughout the history of time. Right, exactly. Come any civilization moving in and trying to take over, they're going to wipe out the current indigenous life to that area. Which is exactly what ends up being the 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 focal point of the drama for the movie. Um, right. And the Marines being stationed on the Air Force Base right there in Los Angeles are the first line of defense against the invaders that land literally on the coastline. Oh, speaking of the Marines, we started talking about this movie. We've already messed up. We're two episodes in, and we've already broke tradition. We did not talk about this cast. <laughs> it's a really good cast. I don't know how we didn't. Okay, so right off the bat, the main character is Aaron Eckhart. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with Aaron Eckhart, it's okay. Um, he is some you might probably call him a... mix him up with Timothy Oliphant or no, no, maybe no, I... Thomas Jane. Who? I'm sorry, Thomas Jane. I was gonna say yeah. He's I get him mixed up with Thomas Jane all the time. The thing about Aaron Eckhart is, oh, tell you what, everybody saw The Dark Knight. If you saw The Dark Knight, he's Harvey Dent. That's all you need to know about the guy. If you haven't seen him in anything else, I strongly recommend one film we will most certainly talk about on this show is Thank You for Smoking. Yes, um, definitely. We will, we will get to that movie probably pretty soon, as a matter of fact. A um, lot of people thought that movie actually went to direct a DVD. And if you'll recall, we said... A lot of our early episodes, we kind of felt like we should be talking about movies that people slept on, and this is one that people hated. Thank You for Smoking is one people outright ignored. And it was a genius film. It, it's Again, so good. Uh, for another episode, like I said, we'll get to <laughs> Definitely. that. Um, he did a handful of other films. Uh, I know he did a film with Catherine Zeta-Jones called No Reservations, kind of a rom-com, but I'd say it's more of a dramedy. It's more of a dramedy. Um... He also, a uh, few years back, did I, Frankenstein. Again, I don't know that that movie, it got it got some heat uh, for like a minute, and then it disappeared again. That's, that's another movie that everyone hated. 
Yeah, so here's the thing about Tom, or Jesus Christ, I almost called him Thomas Jane. Aaron Eckhart, here's the thing about Aaron Eckhart. Amazing actor. Very good in everything that he's in. You can't always judge the person based off of their career choices. Um, he did a movie uh, just last year, a year before, called Bleed for This with him and Miles Teller uh, as a boxing movie, uh, a biopic about um, a boxer named Vinny Pancienza, and uh, Aaron Eckhart played his trainer. Phenomenal role. Anyway, uh, Aaron Eckhart, great actor. The main character, I would, I would say it's probably the main character in Battle Los Angeles. Uh, pretty decent supporting cast. Uh, we get some people, um, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, if you've seen any of the eight Fast and the Furious films, you're aware of her existence. She was also in the original and a couple of the Resident Evil movies, and she, I think she was actually on Lost pretty briefly too. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I swear to God, I almost said Deep Blue Sea, but again, that's Thomas Jane. Uh, <laughs> no, she was in a she was in a movie, Big o- or Blue Ocean. No, no, no. She was in a movie that, that, about surfing. Help me out. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I can't think of the title. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but anyway, so we have Michelle Rodriguez. You have Jim we... Perrick from True Blood that played Hoyt. There you go. Uh, yes. he's, he's one of the, the, the biggest supporting characters on. And he's actually, I don't know that I would call him like the one of one of the main characters of the movie, but he's definitely plays one of the pivotal roles where he's, sort of Aaron Eckhart's right-hand man and is a similar character to who he plays on True Blood where he's a, a good old Southern boy. True. But he's, he's very, very dedicated to the cause and is one of the few people that doesn't actually sort of uh, get on the war hero's case, you know, the tired old soldier who just wants to retire that Aaron Eckhart plays. Right. Um, well, and so halfway through the film, we uh, probably about a third through the film, rather, we get introduced to some of the civilians, which... Through a second watch of this film, even though it came out in 2011, I was aware of some of these people, but I didn't realize they were in this. So, like Bridget Moynihan, for instance, or Michael uh, Pena. Yeah, Michael Pena. I was like, Michael oh, Pena that's just right. comes out of nowhere. Yeah, and, and he's everywhere now. He's like all over the Marvel Cinematic movies. You mm-hmm. can't stop the guy. But in 2011, you barely recognize him. You didn't even know he was in this movie. Yeah, and he, but he had his moment. He had a very good heroic man moment which was really good um this movie also introduced a concept which it's one of those concepts that i'm not 100 percent certain that i'm sold on but at the same time i haven't really yet been disappointed with it and this probably started with either eminem and eight mile or kid rock and uh, joe dirt but that is musicians being actors in a film a part of me wants to go stay in your lane do your own thing leave movies alone but then we have this movie where you take the rapper neo again i wouldn't say that he's a two-bit rapper by any means he's had a good career but then you put him in this movie and you're like really neo's gonna be an actor all of a sudden but he kind of kills it in this film like he crushes every single scene that he's in like he's not he's nowhere near one of the most important characters but he doesn't die in the end gets he gets his moments and every single time he makes it count he very much does, and you root for him. And it's funny because they play that movie trope. Um, this isn't really a spoiler. Again, like in the first 15 minutes of the film, you learn that he's planning his wedding. He's there with another friend from his platoon, and right off the bat, you're going, all right, this dude's going to die because he has something to live for. Like he's got this wedding coming up. Of course he's going to die. And again, this is not really a spoiler, but he doesn't die. I just think that's kind of a very positive thing to say about, unfortunately, the the stereotypical black tropey character in a film. You give him something to live for, and all of a sudden you're going, yeah, at any moment this dude's going to die. Just kind of waiting it out, passing the minutes, and he doesn't die. I'm like, thank you. And, you know, you go back and you look at the cast of the movie, and you're going, Neo, oh, that dude, he's not even an actor. But he he was very believable in this movie. And that, again, I think just goes to show you that you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't judge a, a musician by any means and say, I don't think this dude's fit to act until you actually see him in something and you go, you know what? He did a pretty good job. 
Another example of that would probably be 2012's Battleship, which starred Rihanna. Well, I say starred. She was top billed. But, again, here's a kind of an odd alien invasion movie. And uh, it's just, there's Rihanna just kind of doing her thing. That no one wanted because it was based on a board game. You say what you want, though. Battleship's kind of a fun movie. I, I can't I can't judge. I haven't actually seen it. Really? Okay. Yeah. We're gonna watch that. We're gonna do that on another episode. But anyway. Okay. Let's uh let's get back to the cast. Is there any other standout characters about the cast before we start getting into the story? I don't really think so. Uh, Ramon Rodriguez plays the other the other main role in the movie. Um, and Which he's he's more. You might know him from the second Transformers movie, right? That was the one. That's what I remembered him from. You know him if you see him, but he's he's usually a bit player in the films that he's in. Mm-hmm. That was a good pregnant pause right there. While yeah, we both I, took I a drink. know we both t- both took a drink. <laughs> it was almost like we planned that out. We didn't absolutely not. So if anybody thought for a second that their uh, their MP3 was corrupted or they were listening on their phone or were starting to get a phone call. That didn't happen. We were both just thirsty at the exact same moment. So, again, we bring up the cast because we feel like if you could sell a movie on who's in it, it's probably a good good opportunity to get somebody to watch it. Well, some folks will just, there's just they'll have a list of, of actors and actresses that if they're in a movie, they're going to watch it. Uh, you know, through my life, like, say, Josh Brolin, and now to that list I've added uh, over time, that it started out to be like Josh Brolin and uh, Edward Norton and Kevin mm-hmm. Spacey, and I've gotten a little more ridiculous since then. And I've thrown The Rock on that list. If The Rock's in it, I'll probably watch it. Oh, speaking of which, uh, talk about Aaron Eckhart. I was just kind of going over his filmography real quick, and I'm sure everybody's seen like Olympus Has Fallen, uh, obviously The Dark Knight. We talked about Sully, the uh, the Sully, uh, the Sullivan. Um, a biopic just came out a couple of years ago. But The Core from 2003. Oh, God. Yeah. You remember The Core, don't you? I saw it in theaters, boss. What? Yeah, I did. Damn, homie. You got your money's worth out of that one. I don't know so, that I'm that far. <laughs> so The Core. Again, interesting concept for a movie. Not a great movie, but a fun one. It's That actually, that to me, kind of like, that was... That predicated the whole like disaster movie, um, like Al Gore, uh, climate change truther movement that started happening like in the the mid to late aughts. But that's neither here nor there. So okay, we're gonna pass on. So this is one of those movies that I feel got a bad rap. First of all, uh, it didn't have a big marketing budget. Um, and I feel like the reason it didn't have a big marketing budget is because you can tell that the rest of the budget went into the film. And I don't mean that in a kind of pejorative way, in the sense that the money went into the film in the ways that it needed to go into the film. The special effects were not cheaply done. Now, there's a few times where... Uh, they fill the scene with fog or smoke, and you can tell that they're they're trying to make... They're making it atmospheric, and I wouldn't say they're necessarily trying to make the areas feel smaller because they do use some big places, um, you know, whether it be like a whole block or, or a police station. Um, so they're not they're not necessarily trying to cheat the scene, but but they're playing with it. They're they're using smoke to their advantage. Right, right. But there's nothing about the special effects of this film that I feel are cheap or campy. It completely holds up. Uh, seven not- years later, there's nothing in this film that I feel you can look at it and go, yep, that's a special effect. Or, well, I- it really is a story of, of, a, of a group of Marines literally fighting their way across Los Angeles from the coastline to the Air Force Base and then down into the sewers mm-hmm. uh, while they're attempting to complete their mission. So there's some huge set pieces in the movie. And they don't... And it's... There's... Don't make any bones about it. It's firefight after firefight with brief rest periods in between where they kind of gather, regather their wits and take a deep breath before it's time to get back out into things because mm-hmm. that's their job. And right. they're going to complete it even if it kills them. Um, so fighting literally from the point that they enter the fray at the coastline 
until the end of the movie, they are just neck deep in alien invaders and various artillery. And at one point they, they see an alien communication ship. And, uh, I would, I would actually compare it a lot to like the junkie, like cobbled together style technology. I kind of got the feeling that the aliens kind of patch their things together, sort of like a uh, borderlands sort of comes to mind the way that the technology is kind of cobbled together, but sure. still extremely powerful. Well, especially in the way that you hear uh, the noises that the engines of the, the alien drones make, like when they're flying or when right. they're connecting back to one another. Yeah, you get that, that sense that there's, there's a crudeness to it, that it's not perfect. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely kind of piecing it together. Uh, it's funny when you talk about things that this movie reminds you of, I'm, you know, I don't even care. I might get crucified for this opinion, but this movie, as far as war films are concerned, reminds me of Saving Private Ryan. Now, obviously, it's not on the same level of impactfulness that that Saving Private Ryan has, but what the film does is it opens up immediately in the action. So you start out and you think that they're getting ready to storm the beaches of Normandy, um, which is very apt. And then it immediately switches and it cuts to 24 hours before the invasion happens. So you start to get a little bit of exposition based on um, the introduction of these characters that you're going to see throughout the film. And you learn a a little bit about their lives. And I could get while where some of that is... It's a little overdone, it's a little overplayed, and it may be kind of boring. It's exposition for exposition's sake. Again, it's taking, it's taking this alien invasion and it's, it's bringing humanity into it the same way that people kind of gave Michael Bay a lot of flack for um, taking the, the Josh Hartnett and the Ben Affleck characters and making this whole love triangle out of the story of Pearl Harbor. But let's be 100% honest, what are you supposed to do in that situation? You're just going to make a movie about the invasion and destruction of Pearl Harbor and nothing else? There's not really a movie there. So you have, you feel the need as a storyteller to put something into that. And I get it. Um, well, if we don't have some way to attach ourselves to the characters that are actually going through the scenario, we have no reason to care what happens to them. And it's, it's a exactly. key mistake that a lot of filmmakers make. I'm not going to argue that any of the characters in this movie, outside of Aaron Eckhart's character, really, have any type of reason to be emotionally attached to them. But there's a key difference in that most of them don't like him, and they have a reason for it. And once we understand why they don't like him, we can understand how he feels and how they feel. And once they're in the thick of things, now we have a reason to care whether or not they end up getting shot by these alien monsters. Agreed. And and there's probably a handful of people that, after they watch this film, they might think to themselves, you know what, that whole story about, you know, him and the, the, the other member of his platoon or his squad, him and his brother or any of his past, that really didn't matter. It didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. It didn't add anything to the film. That's totally fine. Like, if, if you're not taking that from the film or that didn't resonate with you, that's perfectly cool. Um but I can definitely see the point of it being in the movie because it adds an extra... It's the B storyline. So the A storyline is that we're being invaded by these aliens. The B storyline is the drama and the camaraderie between these men who have to work together not only against the odds of this invasion but also against the the unseen MacGuffin, if you will, of this this past, this this history between all these different characters and the connections that they share and them all being Marines and, and, and all that different stuff tying into one another. Well, um, and, and they they make it very, very clear with maybe one or two exceptions in the group that even if they hate one another, they're still brothers and they still have a job to do. And right. they do it. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's one of the things that drew me to this movie so much in the first place is the fact that there's not a bunch of really there's not a lot of time where there is exposition pieces they just try tactic after tactic in order to complete the objective like you would in say call of duty or something Mm -hmm. because they're soldiers they're not actors 
Oh, yeah. Well, and speaking of Call of Duty, there's some really cool camera shots that I want to talk about real quick. The first person, like, down the ACOG scope, uh, where you actually see it as if you're looking down the barrel. Which uh, we see repeatedly, too. Yeah. Uh, we see Especially Michelle Rodriguez's character. Yeah, we see it a, a handful of times. I don't feel that it reached a point of being egregious or no, overdone. It was neat. It, it kind of... Honestly, in the moments that it was used, I, I understand the the intention. It was meant to be uh, suspenseful. It was to add tension to the scene so that you were not only feeling the tension of the Marine or the character that was looking down the, the barrel of his gun, but you also saw what he saw. So it was kind of like, oh, shoot, what is he seeing? So not the, you know, the typical oh, no, I see him struggling, I don't know what. And it's like, okay, well, now we're going to show you what he sees so you can also feel what he feels because he's not seeing what, whatever it is that he's seeing or, or you know, vice versa, whatever he is seeing. So well, I thought I that was kind of well done. I find that those kind of camera, those kind of camera shots, uh, I mean, you get really used to seeing the sniper angle in, uh, in, in movies like this, like in, especially in combat movies like... Uh, you saw it a lot in like Enemy at the Gates or uh, Sniper, movies like that. But and you don't typically see too. aiming through standard sights, which plenty of standard issue firearms these days. And even like even my brother, I think, has an ACOG sight for one of his rifles that he has. So they're, they're pretty commonplace and we're used to seeing them in video games too. Mm-hmm. But you don't tend to see it too much in film. So it, it, it's kind of nice. It helps the immersion factor when you're watching this movie. It kind of helps you settle into the tense combat scenario and then enjoy an action movie for being an action movie for once. And I think that's something that shouldn't be understated. This movie, I feel, okay, so it does take itself seriously, but I wouldn't say that it takes itself too seriously, like to a place that feels tired or overdone. Again, this is a war movie about marines they just happen to be fighting aliens but it's not so outlandish or over the top that you can't get behind the idea of what it is that they're fighting or 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 feel the sense of realism to the moment no that makes any sense they they're calling out positions and trying different tactics uh one of the very first firefights in the movie when they realize that they're outmatched they don't flip they just change tactics. They start calling mm-hmm. out enemy positions. They use the houses on the street in order to get around behind the enemy and get away from them, um, which is what I like to think our troops would do in real life. Right. Well, and back to that kind of like that first person uh, perspective for just a moment, uh, the 2005 movie Doom, there's that scene that everybody infamous, infamously talks about. Excuse me. Well, every- that's the only part of that movie people seem to like is the first person section. Exactly. And it was the dopest part of that film for a lot of people. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's super cool, but it's, uh, you would, you would think to yourself, I want a whole movie like that. And then they made hardcore Henry and nobody saw that movie. It's like, so you either thought it was super cool or you didn't, but those two films aside, I just want to use those examples of ones that used it kind of i would say doom was the first movie that i can remember that had that pop culture resonance because it was it was a movie based on a video game that happened to be a first person shooter right and then hardcore henry which was done entirely in first person so i I think a good mix of the two of those and i say mix it was really on the lesser side there's probably about maybe what five or six scenes that actually use that first person perspective down the sides of the gun and it's and, very brief too yeah right so it, it's not it's not jarring it's you see it for a moment and you're like ooh this is kind of an interesting view right and then it cuts right out of it so it's it doesn't overstate its welcome i feel like in, in in doom it was made specifically as kind of a pop the fan moment Oh yeah, it was uh, certainly just to, just to certainly make, for, just for uh, mostly for shots for, for a trailer to attract fans of the video game to that awful, awful, awful movie <laughs> that I actually kind of like. Um, I told you I'll watch anything The Rock's in. Of course. In Hardcore Henry's case, it was more the gimmick for the film because the director for that movie was known uh, was known for 
making first-person style music videos and what have you and, and right. utilizing first-person action scenes. In this movie, it's more for the, the establishing effect of the shot so that you see what that character is seen as he's aiming and he's going in for the kill, basically. Where he's trying I to feel... see something. Or, like, you're trying to see from his perspective. Which, like I, I said, th- like, I feel just just adding tension to this scene. I feel like that's that's an error that a lot of, of action and war movies specifically make, where we see the sniper, you know, going in for the kill, getting ready, one shot, one kill, I'm coming to get you. Whereas in this movie, it's uh, tactical. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like everything else they do, and I appreciate that because you're not always going to take the shot every single time you try to spot where the enemy is. So it doesn't overstay its welcome, as you said. Well, and another thing I think the film really does well is the fact that you don't feel that any character is actually safe. Uh, no. There's moments in the film where, again, we talked about the early uh, exposition of the film where it kind of gives you a little bit of, I say backstory, but. It gives you an introduction to each of these characters and kind of gives you this small glimpse window into their lives at the moment, whether it's like Neo's character we talked about earlier in the film, where you see him um, at a florist and he's looking at flowers with another person from his platoon with his wife and a couple of other friends. And, you know, you're getting all this around and the the store and have a good old time. Right. So you're getting the camaraderie of these of these men and you're seeing all these different glimpses of them interacting with each other outside of a combat scenario. So you start to understand their dynamic and this sort of quote-unquote family that they've created within their platoon. Um, that being said, in a lot of movies you can kind of pick out like, oh, hey, this guy got two lines of dialogue. He's dying in the first five minutes. No questions asked. In this film there were characters you thought like, oh, he's going to last a little bit longer. And there was a nice nod to a horror movie trope. Um, we had talked about, I think, Scream on the last episode. Um, oh, what's the name of the character? You're going to help me out with it. It's uh, It was the kid that, the guy that was, uh, they they teased him for being a virgin. Lanahan. Uh, Sean oh, Lanahan. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the rookie in the movie I thought you meant from Scream. Right, they, they teased him about being a virgin, and then they even made a joke later in the film that says, see, I told you, man, uh, he's a virgin, he can't die. Yeah, he, he, he can't die a virgin. Right, and that's kind of a nod to those old horror movie tropes that you don't kill the virgin, it's this sort of sacred thing that you do. You know, I would argue, I would argue a counterpoint with that, but the character in question here repeatedly survives ridiculous scenarios where he should have been dead 10 times over and almost got laid at one point we should also point that out the poor guy uh drank himself a little too much but and that was just part of the kind of the the fun getting to know the characters part so um was there any other standout parts of this film other than you know there was good tactical stuff uh if you're if you're a fan of military movies or war movies in general don't even think about the fact that this has aliens in it because truth be told this really is just a good solid war movie they could just as well be human beings that have incredibly advanced artillery yeah honestly the fact that they're aliens is completely irrelevant to me if they never said the word alien i never would have thought of it and the reason for that is because the characters in the movie are like okay so we're getting attacked by aliens all right whatever because they're not paid to panic and freak out that oh my god now we know aliens are real it's okay we're still being invaded we have to take care of that and they treat the enemy with the same level of respect as you would imagine them treating any sort of uh enemy force or insurgent or 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 whatever they they choose to call it you know it was contact 12 o'clock you know like it didn't matter what it was it's a threat and if they don't take it seriously they're dead exactly yeah so those were some really good some of the better spots I would say that there's a point I want to I want to say it's a lull but really every war movie suffers from this lull right so it starts out strong you learn about your characters you get into some combat you learn about them some more and then there's a spot where the film it, it seems to hit a dead spot unfortunately this- battle 
Battle Los Angeles is is no exception to this. It really is. There there has to be a cool down before there can be a climax to the movie, it, or it's just going to fall flat. Exactly. And, it's, it's that final dip before the 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 expected crest of the yeah, roller coaster and, ride that is a, a, an action film. Unfortunately, the weakest part of this movie for me is that cool down because you've you've introduced these expositions, the B plot with Aaron Eckhart's character in order to establish and make us care about the characters. And by the time we get to the resolution for that plot, you've been through so many combat scenarios through the whole movie. It, it's not that it, it seems insincere or that it, it shouldn't have occurred. It just feels forced because it has to be at that point in time. Because they've opened that door earlier in the film that, okay, now we need closure between these characters. Right. We've been talking about it this whole time. We've dropped all these subtle hints and these nods. And obviously, we own a watch. Like, we know that this this hour has just blown by. It's been an hour and ten minutes. We have to do this part now. Exactly. And there's no movie that is safe from this. And that doesn't make this film bad. I, I no, not at all. No, uh, I'm I'm not even mad about it to be honest with you. It had to be in there. It just kind of sucks that it feels crowbarred like it is. Sure, but you had to do it. Yeah, and it, you get that you get the closure between the characters, which, as somebody who has watched a lot of films, um, you you expect it, and you're ready for it. You're, you're kind of sitting back and going, okay, any minute now. Any, okay, there it is. There it is. Okay, all right. Our, our, our characters have reconciled any differences that they had, and now we're ready to go into the final battle, and we're just going to kick its ass, and we're all going to be as one unit. We're going to be stronger than ever, and everything's going to come to a head, right? Okay, so it does. But um, it it's one of those film tropes that... Unfortunately, this movie suffers from, but I feel like there's a lot of other films that are just wildly more popular than this film that suffer from the exact same things. Like, I think, in my opinion, this movie is just as entertaining, if not more, than any of the Transformers movies. Again, that's an opinion that I'm putting out there into the world, and obviously anybody can can either agree or disagree with that opinion. But if you want to talk about a film beat by beat, scene by scene, truth be told, I feel like this movie actually holds up better than the Transformers movies. To be honest with you, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'll say it flat out. I like this movie way more than I liked any of the Transformers movies. And it's it sounds kind of ridiculous to compare the two because it's, it's really not, though. It's all about explosions and gunfire. And the thing is, I'm sorry, this movie just makes way better use of its time, mm-hmm. beat for beat, in terms of on-screen violence, explosions, tense combat scenarios, than any of the other movies that were out in that time frame. So why did people hate it so much? I don't understand. It Well, in, there's something to be said, too. Even though this is an, a movie about aliens, I want to make this perfectly clear that Okay, yeah, the threat that they're dealing with is aliens, but the issues that they're dealing with as Marines is some of the more humanizing issues that I've ever seen in a war film. Right, it might as well be a domestic threat. Yeah, like, you take away the, you take away the enemy. You take away the fact that it's an alien. It's still just a good war movie. Like, like we said earlier in the show, that part doesn't go away. And I think if you look at it from that lens, that perspective, uh, there's a lot of good movie to enjoy here. And honestly, this movie has one of my favorite lines about leadership, and that is, we go left, we go right, it doesn't matter. You just make a decision. Tell us where you want us to go, it's your call. And uh, that's the Staff Sergeant Aaron Eckhart's uh, line to his lieutenant in the film, and you kind of hear that, and, and you sympathize those both characters in the moment because you're going, yeah, just make a choice. What are you guys doing? But then you, you think about it from the lieutenant's point of view, and you're going, I don't know that I could ever make a call. Like, that's insane. I have all these men 
who count on me to make a choice, what's the right choice? You don't want to make the wrong choice, but you also understand that there's going to be a right choice and a wrong choice, and no matter what you make, somebody could get hurt. And there's there's good lessons to be learned. Like I enjoy a movie that has good lessons. Like when you take away something from a film and you go, that was awesome. I appreciate what they did there and what they had to say. I agree. Um, it's it's very similar. What, basically, what he's saying is, we can go either direction. It doesn't matter if you make the right choice or the wrong choice because at least a choice was made, and we stand a fighting chance one way or another. Even exactly. if it's the wrong one, mm-hmm. we can still get through if we work together. But if you don't make a choice, we won't get anywhere, and we will all die. Exactly. And maybe the extreme like the extreme circumstances of that might not apply to everyday life but it still rings true if you just sit around not making up your mind about anything you will never get anywhere yeah and sometimes it's nice to have that thrown in your face courtesy of Varen Eckhart (laughs) yeah it's all about the perspective for sure well so we're we're reaching our 40 minute mark which means that we're we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping this up here yeah, like I said in the first episode, we, we definitely want to be respectful of your time. Although, ironically, one, one bit of feedback that we did get back was being told that, we, that uh, the person wished that the show was longer, to which I replied, I feel like that's a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we might get there one day. It, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, not to say that we're not passionate about Battle Los Angeles, because if anybody would like to comment... Or reach out to us and talk about the movie. We're down to do that for by hours. All, like, yeah, by all means, get a hold of us and let us know why you hate this movie. And I would like to hear about it because I, I genuinely don't know why people didn't like it. Yeah, like there was tons of other films that were way worse that exceeded everybody else's expectations somehow. I, I'm not sure why, but this movie totally kicks Twilight's ass. I'm going to be honest with you. Also, <laughs> also, Battle Los Angeles is pg-13 rated i know you're thinking to yourself griff why does this matter Mm, i knew this was coming up before we got out of here oh yeah of course it matters it doesn't matter necessarily but if you've ever watched the movie be cool in the first five minutes there is can we go ahead and say that this is an homage to pulp fiction i feel like it is i don't necessarily know about that Okay, but it's a car scene with Quentin Tarantino, or I'm sorry, not Quentin Tarantino, with John Travolta using Quentin Tarantino-esque dialogue to to teach us things that we didn't know otherwise. So in the film Be Cool, John Travolta has a line, and he's talking about movies that are rated PG-13, and I don't remember the year, so forgive me for my ignorance on that. But they made a rule in the rating system that if you were going to use the F word in a PG-13 film, you can use it one time. That's it. Um, The only exception I can think of is the social network, but I think there's a loophole based on how long the runtime of the film is. I think it might also be based on the context. If it's used as an expletive, you can only use it once. If you use it as a describing term, you can't use it even the one time. Like as an action... Mm-hmm. But if it's like an expletive descriptor, you can have the one. Uh, but as far as I can know, in recent memory, The Social Network is the only film that comes to mind that uses it twice. But again, that's a David Fincher film, so it's a long-ass movie. So I'll have to look into the ruling on, on exactly why. And if, and if anybody uh, in the comments knows why they were able to use the F word twice in that movie, please let me know. But again, long story short, getting back to Be Cool... Ever since then, every time I've watched the PG-13 movie, I have played the one F game. And that is knowing that I'm watching a PG-13 film, knowing they have one use of the F word, and if their use of the F word is justified. There are a handful of films that I feel like they use their one F properly. Battle Los Angeles is no exception to that. They it might actually use... be the top. They use it very well. Uh, it's about, what would you say, three quarters into the film they use oh, it? Oh, it's, it's, it's the final scene. Yeah, they're getting ready to mount their final offensive uh, against the enemy. Which, by the way, 
The moment he runs out of ammo in his rifle and pulls out his pistol, did you not get that like that man chubby of going like, "Yes, this movie is just." <laughs> there was that. Well, he he switches effortlessly too. He runs dry. He drops it. He immediately draws his sidearm. It's great. Yeah, like any man who loves guns and loves action movies, watch it for the last. <laughs> For the last 15 minutes, that's a beautiful payoff to watch Aaron Eckhart switch to his sidearm mid-stride because they're pushing back the enemy. Like, they see them falling back, and they're like, keep going. They're retreating. You know, it's oh, it's a beautiful moment. But, again, they use their one F word very well. Um, for our movie listening fans, if they were unaware of the fact that PG-13 films had one use of the word well, the F word, rather. Um, <laughs> trying not to swear. I'm trying to do my best. I'm sorry. If you didn't know that, go back and, wa- go back and watch some of your favorite PG-13 movies or movies you didn't realize were PG-13. Uh, and you'll have to double check. Uh, it might Google search me a little bit, but there was a year in which they switched that because there were films back in the early 80s and the 70s that were PG-13 and were littered with expletives that... Uh, would not not pass our, our rating system nowadays. No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, God forbid there's no way that the movie Revenge of the Nerds would even exist I mean, my, in today's my day God, and time. Titanic is rated PG-13, and it has nudity and two F-bombs in it. And they show Kate Winslet's boob. Yeah. What were they thinking? I don't but know. But that was for artistic <laughs> reasons. Okay. Right, right. She was she was asked to be drawn like one of his French girls. That's a totally different context. You're and right. It was just, my mistake. That wasn't a gratuitous breast. It was, it was <laughs> an it was an art breast. it was an artful tit. <laughs> Those weren't gratuity titties. <sighs> so anyway, uh, any closing thoughts or comments on the film? Watch this movie and. Tell me why you hate it, because I'm, I'm generally baffled, guys. It's, it's an incredibly solid action movie. It's very, very satisfying fight scenes to watch. It's I, Okay, so maybe you won't be the most emotionally invested in the characters in any movie you've ever seen, but I promise you, if you watch this movie and you don't listen to people tell you that it sucks before you watch it, you are going to enjoy it. I swear to you. Yeah, it's definitely one of those, hey, I just happened to watch this movie on a lazy Saturday or Sunday afternoon, and this was a pretty good film. Uh, I think a lot of people would probably have that story if, you know, they were Watch it on a rainy Saturday afternoon. Yeah, if you weren't told about the movie otherwise, it'd be a good place to, to watch it. Uh, one final thing I'll leave you with, and uh, Mike, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but there was a there was a moment in the movie that I hadn't really seen in any other film until it was the climax of the film like okay mars attacks for instance is a good example of um was it jimmy what was was that the main character's the name the the grandson who learned that the aliens heads would explode when they were listening to a particular song yeah uh so that was kind of like the climax of the film like learning how to kill them was this particular song there's a scene i this is it's got to be about halfway through the film when they actually come across a mostly dead alien soldier and Aaron Eckhart's character is ferociously figuring out how to kill it. That's one way to put it. Another way is to say he is just tearing pieces out of it trying to figure out what will kill this thing. And that's something you don't see in a lot of alien movies. Like, if you... Okay, so if we're going to use the example... Alien, for instance. Sigourney Weaver just picks up a flamethrower or, you know, whatever explosive they can use to kill this thing. But this movie, I think, is the first one that explored finding them. I, well, okay, maybe Independence Day did it in a sort of pseudo way, but they talked about the fact that they had some sort of exoskeletal suit. That once they opened it up, then they realized that they're no different than than human beings. But this was the first one that, in a combat situation, explored the aliens on a much more vulnerable level and dug to the root of, I want to know how you kill this thing. And even though they were about to be overran in this particular scene, he pressed forward 
and didn't quit because he knew that there was no point in going further until they knew that there was a vulnerable weakness to their enemy. Yeah, because if they don't find one, they're going to run out of ammunition very quickly. Exactly. So, I know that we can fanboy out about this movie for a long time, but the point is, if you haven't seen this movie, check it out. I hope we haven't spoiled too much for you. I hope we've encouraged you enough to actually go check it out. Uh, Again, Battle Los Angeles. It is not just a good alien movie. It's not a good sci-fi movie, necessarily, but it's... It's a great war movie. If you good, if you like good military movies, good war movies, this is one that isn't too heavy on uh, abbreviations. You don't have to necessarily be inundated with military lingo or um, uh, abbreviations or anything like that to, to appreciate and understand. I know there's a lot of movies out there that, like, well, I don't know anything about the military, so this movie was kind of went over my head. This movie plays into the fact that it knows that its audience may or may not know anything about the film, uh, about the military going into the film. So it's very accessible. It, again, it, it doesn't matter if you know anything about that. Yeah, it's just a good all-around action movie. Mike, any closing thoughts on that? Well, like I said, just watch this movie. You're, you're, going, you're going to like it, I promise. And again, if you hate it, let us know. We're uh, always interested in conversations about films, and we hope to hear from you guys. Let us know what you think about the show. We're always looking for feedback, and any sort of uh, advice or suggestions for future episodes, movies that you'd like to hear us talk about, let us know. We're we're always open to new ideas and, and new films. We watch a ton of stuff, and there's not really any genre of film that we're opposed to so if you got something out there that you think that this was a good film that a lot of people saw let us know we probably agree with you there's a good chance that we saw it and wish more people would have so until next time i'm griff and and i'm mike (laughs) (laughs) and that's mike and we thank you for checking out our show and we'll talk at you guys next week Talk to you later.